0: Amen. It is a blessing to know that we have grace and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. I want to take a moment before I get into my message this morning, just thank you as a church. Um, Yesterday, I had the opportunity to do two things in our community. One, I was working just to kind of help a police officer out. As you know, I'm the chaplain for the Clemson Police Department. And then also, uh, I was a part of, we we had some uh, events up at the Uh, Nettles Ball Field. Yesterday was opening day with softball and baseball and all that stuff, and um, it is such a blessing to be a part of a church that wants to be involved in the community. Uh, I was so excited when we were at the opening day events, and I looked out, and I think about half the fans that were there, at least for a couple of the games we were at, were from our church. And I just wanted to thank you for being involved in the community. It does make a difference, and the rest of the community does take notice of it. So it makes a difference and I appreciate it very much as a pastor, y'all make me look good when you show up for stuff like that. Now the downside is I was coaching in three of those games and my voice is not as strong today because I might've yelled at kids more than I should've but that's a separate issue, so. Have you ever felt betrayed by an individual? Somebody hurt you, you placed your trust in them and they took it for granted, maybe it was at work Maybe it was at home. My guess is, regardless of where it was, you probably didn't enjoy it. But it is also likely that it hurt worse if it came from home. Knowing that it was somebody that you loved and you poured yourself into, it seems to hurt a little bit more. Well, imagine how Jesus felt as he had invested so much time and effort into the lives of his disciples. He's given them purpose. He's given them meaning. He's given them friendship and love. In multiple ways, he has made them everything that they are. Now imagine the betrayal that would take place. A few minutes ago, I read to you a passage from Matthew chapter 26, verse 14 to 16. And I want to read it to you again just to kind of refresh our minds. It says this, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now, last week, I began a new series entitled Ashes. And in this series, we are looking at the brokenness which Christ encountered on his way to Calvary. Last week, we looked at some of the broken people, uh, individuals, one who took an alabaster jar and broke it open and poured it over Jesus as an anointing. Uh, Simon the leper at whose house he was at uh, when she poured this perfume over him. What we see is individuals who had been broken, but they found healing and they found grace and restoration. Today, I want us to see the brokenness that is revealed in the actual betrayal of Christ. I will warn you that I'm going to read most of my scripture passages today from the New Living Translation. Normally, I read from the NIV, uh, but as I prepared this week, it just seemed much easier to understand from the New Living Translation. So today, I'll be reading from that. Now, our passage calls out Judas as the chief betrayer. But let's not be naive. The reality is that all of the disciples, in some way or fashion, they chose to betray Jesus. Certainly it was Jesus who plays the primary role, yet all of Jesus' disciples go into hiding on the night of Jesus' arrest. Which means that they're really not all that much better than Judas. And only John is recorded as having been present at the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Where were these other disciples whom said they loved Jesus, and they themselves have been changed by his presence? You know, betrayal is nothing new. It has been happening since Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden. The scriptures reveal countless examples of such betrayal. One of the most powerful of examples comes from the book of Joshua. It involves a man named Achan all of the Israelites had been instructed as they took possession of Jericho to take all of the gold and the silver and the bronze and anything that was of significant value and to, instead of keeping it for themselves, to give it all back to God. They were to keep none of it for themselves. There are so many reasons why this piece of instruction makes sense. To begin with, the Israelites basically do nothing to achieve this victory. They go and they march around the walls of this great city and they go home and they do the same thing the next day and the next day and the next day until on the seventh day they march around the city seven times, blow their trumpets and make all kinds of noise and the walls just fall down. I don't care how good a soldier you had, they had nothing to do with why they won that victory. God was the one who gave them the victory. Well, if God was the one who gave them the victory, it only makes sense that God deserves the plunder. In addition, it's important to note that this is the only time that God would expect this of the Israelites as they go into the promised land. Every other city that they would conquer, God would allow them to take the plunder, but this is almost a sense of you give the first fruits back to God, and as you do so, he will continue to bless. But Achan betrays God and Israel. He sees the gold and the silver and the bronze, and he decides that he's going to keep some of it for himself. Now, the rest of Israel is oblivious to this betrayal, but God is not. In the coming days, Israel will go back into battle against another nation, and they would lose, specifically because God refused to bless a people who had betrayed their God. Now, normally at this stage in the message, I'm not ready to give you a challenge, but I want to challenge you for a moment. How many of us have sought God's blessing in our lives, yet the way we live is a betrayal of what God expects in us if that is you then the time is now to ask yourself first of all why would God bless me he might choose to bless you because he is a gracious God that amazing grace we've talked about but you should not expect it maybe it's time that we examine our own lifestyle choices And get back into a position where God is more likely to bless his people. Too many of us have fallen into the shoes of Achan. Where we have committed sin and we knew what we were doing was contrary to what God had instructed us. Yet somehow we still expect him to give us blessing. Well to get to the point, God does address Achan and his sin. God reveals to Joshua... What the real issue is. It wasn't that God had neglected or betrayed them, but the people had betrayed God. And then in a very public forum, God leads Joshua right to Achan. We read about the confrontation in Joshua 7:19. This is what it says. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. God singles out Achan and his sin, punishing him for his betrayal. His punishment? The entire Israelite community would stone he and his family to death. Now, before you get on to your moral high horse and declare that they were cruel and a little bit of grace would have gone a long way to resolve this situation. I want you to consider two things. First, I told you that the Israelites had lost a battle in the coming days specifically because of Achan's sin. That battle caused 36 individuals from Israel to die. Do you think maybe those families wanted some form of accountability? One man's sin caused 36 other families to hurt. There was a need for some type of accountability. The second issue is something that just clicked with me just within the last week or two. A few chapters earlier in Joshua chapter 1, we see what's called the calling of Joshua. In the last few verses of that chapter, we see the response of God's people to Joshua promising him absolute Loyalty. Listen to the words of Joshua 118. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words, and everything you command will be put to death. Achan's corporate punishment had already been agreed upon by all of the Israelites, including Achan. He knew what the consequences could be if others found out about the crime that he committed. He knew what would happen. Well, I wonder if the church today still sees such moral integrity as important. I've shared with you before, but I remember visiting a church while we were down in Haiti that met each Saturday to evaluate each individual in the church community to see whether or not they were living in accordance with God's law. I don't know that we need to start having Saturday meetings anytime soon, but I do know that we do need to hold each other accountable to encourage people along the way. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he addresses this issue in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. He said, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Again, my goal is not to serve as judge. It's not to put anybody on a pedestal, or it's not to say that one's better than another, or even to kick someone else while they are down, or to kick them to the curb. But if I truly love you, I don't want to see you walk down this path. It's going to lead to suffering and death. Yesterday, as a part of our baseball and softball games, one of the games that we played it was actually Michael's team. It's eight- and under a baseball team. And I'll tell you, it's a lot of fun watching these kids. Sometimes they're crazy. Uh, sometimes they are so distracted. And on one occasion, uh, one of the kids on the other team, he was playing third base, which is relatively close to the, the bat, the, the batter, and um, he's playing third base, and the umpire's about to start the inning, and he looks over, and here's this kid, and he's, he's down drawing stuff in the dirt, and I mean, he's just, he has no clue what's going on around him. He's just playing around. The umpire stops everything. He says, hey, son, son. Finally, the kid looks up and he said, you got to get up. Was that a cruel act on the part of that umpire to point out that this individual had just put himself in a dangerous position, or was that actually a gracious act of love trying to protect him from himself? The reality is that although it may not be comfortable, the truth is we need individuals To stop us from getting hurt sometimes. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote the following words to the Galatian church. He said, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Let's call sin, sin. Sin. But let's do it in a way that it restores rather than tearing people down. Remember that all of us are works in progress. But the key word is progress. We must continually be becoming, be becoming more and more like Christ. Well, in our original passage, we see that selfishness is the motive for Judas's betrayal. In this case, he says, what will you give me? And he receives 30 pieces of silver. Again, the argument could be made that the disciples' betrayal is also driven by selfishness. In their case, is a di- desire for self-preservation. It has been suggested by some theologians and psychologists that the root cause of every sin is selfishness. Some would add fear as perhaps a driving motive for sin. That certainly fits with Akin. Look at his response in Joshua 7, verse 20 and 21. As he's called out regarding his sin, it says, Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. It was all about what he wanted. It was selfishness. Now maybe you would never be selfish in this manner. But selfishness can show up in many different ways. For example, selfishness can show up even in things that look really spiritual. James 4.3 addresses the fact that sometimes we ask for things in prayer but we don't get them because we ask with improper, impure motives. I remember as a teenager praying on multiple occasions that God would allow me to get together with a certain young lady. But I'm not sure that those motives were all that pure. Philippians 1.17 points out that there are even some who will put themselves in ministry positions. They elevate themselves. I'm not just talking about pastors, although we know that there have been times that pastors have not made the right decision. I would suggest that there are those who are in church every Sunday, lay individuals who are serving in leadership, that sometimes we want so much to have control. We want respect. We want recognition. We want all kinds of things. And sometimes the one thing that we leave out is honor and glory to God himself. Although our world tells us that we need to get people to look at us, Jesus turns the structure of the world upside down. He spent his entire earthly life pointing people to the Father. Not to himself, but to the Father. And he now desires for us to point people to him. It's not about living for ourselves, it's about living for Christ. And when that doesn't happen, there are consequences. Romans 8.8 8 tells us that those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That means that if you're living for self, if you are selfish today, then God's not going to be okay with that. Instead, we are to live with right motives. In 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul shares that why he preaches the things that he preaches is simply because he loves God. He doesn't do what he does to please men, but instead to please God himself. May that be the genuine motive for every choice that we make. I know Paul was a preacher. He was a missionary. This was an evangelist who was going to tell everybody he could about Jesus, but he was very clear what his reason was. This is because I want to please God, not you. May that be our heart as well, that we would simply live as those who seek to please God above all else. Well, back to our original passage in Matthew 26, it's interesting to note that this was more than a moment of impulsive betrayal for Judas. This was a calculated action. Often we look at this as a one-time event where Judas betrays Jesus, but the truth is this was a process that takes place. Judas takes the money, but now he must wait for just the right opportunity kind of makes it seem a little more personal. This wasn't an impulsive decision where he did it and immediately thought, oh, what was I thinking? That was dumb. And all of us have probably had those moments. This was a calculated event, a premeditated act where Judas says, I can make a little bit of money off of this. And it's not just that quick thing, but okay, so now let's work through this. How can I work this out? so that I get that money and we, we get this taken care of. Forget about the fact that Jesus had been there for him, that Jesus had turned him in to something incredible. He, he went from obscurity to someone of importance by being one of the 12 disciples. Yet here he is, he has completely left that behind. This isn't the only time that sin and betrayal was premeditated. Consider the story of Old Testament Joseph comes from Genesis 37, verses 18 to 20 says this. They saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So they see him coming a long ways off and here he comes. What are we going to do about this? Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. In their case, they planned out the betrayal. They want to put him in his place. Sure, there's an element of impulse that's in play here, but they know what they're doing. We know that he's our brother, but he needs to know that he's no better than us. In fact, We're going to make a statement with them. Now, they end up not killing them, by the way. They end up selling them into slavery, but that is not the issue. Even that in itself is a horrible action. Oh, how I wish that our world would have evolved since then. Instead, I wonder if perhaps we have devolved. I was listening to a sermon this week regarding changes that have taken place in our culture in recent years. The sermon was from a guy who had been a pastor for more than five decades, as he was reflecting on how much the world has changed during that time period. He talked about how the church was once a source of hope and healing, yet today it has become the scourge of society. He talked about the expectation for everyone to be tolerant of everything, everything that is except Christianity. The point of his message was to say that our world is walking down an ugly path, and it would be hard for me to argue against his logic and reason. In fact, God's word goes a little bit further by telling us that these things will absolutely take place. Listen to the words of 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 6. It says, you should know this, Timothy, That in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and forgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. This shouldn't surprise any of us because it's what we see happening right in front of our very eyes. My first thought as I read this is about what our children are being taught, not in their schools, but in their homes. I think many of us would feel pretty comfortable saying that today's kids fit this description. In fact, I want you to listen to the words of a philosopher. He said this Our youth love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for their elders. Children are now tyrants. They no longer rise when their elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up their food, and tyrannize their teachers. Anyone want to know who the philosopher was? Socrates. Written in 400 B.C. Maybe this isn't so new to culture, and maybe it's not just the next generation that is falling in to this trap. Maybe what we read in First Timothy is very much what applies to everyone in this room. Again, it's easy for us to look at everybody else, this is their problem, this is what they're doing, but maybe the issue is within us. Maybe it just seems to be getting a little bit worse as the day of Christ's return moves closer. I want to challenge you in three ways this morning. The first one is I challenge you to evaluate your choices. We look at Judas and we see him as this horrible, ungodly man who made a choice that was very detrimental to the relationship he had with Christ. Even the other disciples would look at him in a very negative way from that moment forward. There's a sense of justice even when Judas will take his own life down the road. Recognize that your every choice makes a difference. You will either choose to walk in a way that honors him. You will walk in holiness and you will celebrate who he is and the impact that he has had on your life. Or you will choose to walk in a way that dishonors him. And we call that sin, you can call it betrayal, you can call it whatever you want. The fact is, every day we make that choice. So I ask you to simply evaluate your own choices. How are you living? Are you living in a way where God would look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or are you not? Evaluate your own choices. Go beyond evaluating your choices evaluate your motives. Some of us in the room today could probably look at some of the things that we're doing in the community and getting involved and maybe in the church and loving people at various times. But some of us, as we do so, we do so for our own personal recognition. We do so because we want to get something in return for what we've done. We do something because we think that's what people expect of us. And sometimes the motive is not about honoring God. Sure, we can list all the accomplishments that are there, but the motive is not right. And I'm telling you, while I celebrate all the good things that you do, if you do not do so with a heart that is fixed on Jesus Christ, you're no different from someone who's a part of some community service organization out there. See, the reality is all those things that we do are an opportunity for us to point people to Jesus Christ, to show them the love that he himself offers. It is an opportunity for us to not just please men, but to please him. That is the motive that should drive our every action, every word, our every attitude that comes from us. It's not enough to say you're doing good things. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it? To honor the name of Jesus Christ. And if you are, you have a reason to keep doing it. If you are not, it is time to reevaluate the things you're doing along with the motives. The last thing that I would challenge you with is not only to evaluate your choices, evaluate your motives, but also to evaluate your path. If you were to continue on the path which you currently are on, Would it lead you into the presence of a holy God, or would it cause you to stand before him and hear those words, Away from me, for I never knew you? Evaluate the path that you're on. In our world, in our culture, um, this is a practice that does take place on a regular basis. It's not always pointing people to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we look at other people and we see their brokenness and we see their pain and we we feel the need to make a difference. We got to stop what's going on. There was a TV show a few years ago entitled Intervention. Uh, And the TV show is basically about families that were intervening in the lives of their family members. Typically, it was someone with a drug problem or an alcohol problem. Uh, The family members were looking and realizing that what they're doing, they cannot keep doing. They're hurting themselves. They're hurting other people. So they intervene because they love them and they cannot allow them to just continue on that path because that path is going to lead to destruction. You know that the church also is to participate in intervention <laughs> don't get me wrong it's not to judge it goes back to what we talked about earlier to restore gently my greatest desire is that all of us will one day stand before god and we will hear those words well done good and faithful servant i want to challenge you today avoid the intervention i know Probably very few drug addicts and alcoholics here in this service. I get that 100%. Avoid the intervention, though, and look where sin exists in your life and address it now before it addresses you. Take advantage of the opportunity you have to change paths today so that you can walk in a way that honors God and that one day you will see him pleased as you stand before him. I'm going to ask if everyone would bow your heads and close your eyes as I've challenged you in these three areas. I'm going to give you the chance to at least respond Uh, as we do so. I'm just going to ask individuals to simply raise their hands. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I want to be able to pray specifically for you. Maybe today, as I have addressed this, as we've dug into the word, maybe you recognize that there is a need for change. Maybe you recognize that some of you are living immoral lives. You've allowed sin to exist and it does not belong, but you need to address that sin even now. Maybe some of you, you're doing the right things, but you're doing it with the wrong motive. And maybe some of you are simply walking a path where you do not belong. But you recognize today that something needs to change. I'm going to ask if you would, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to be able to pray specifically for you. I see hands raised. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now I come before you and we are grateful to know that you are a gracious God. You are a restoring God. Father, you have made a way for all of us to be redeemed. And today that is our hope. That is our promise. This morning, I've seen at least six hands come up declaring that they want to be right with you. Some of the choices that they've allowed do not belong, and I pray that you would give them the strength to stand, allow your Holy Spirit to guide every decision that they make, the same spirit that dwells in them now. I pray that they would become obedient to that spirit, and I pray that you would even convict our hearts when we choose not to be obedient to that spirit. I pray that you would help us to evaluate why we do what we do. May it always be to honor your name. Forgive us where we have not done so. And help us from this moment forward to live in a way that honors you because of the heart for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk a path that leaves sin behind. And that from this moment forward, we would walk as those who have been redeemed by the grace of your Son. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. My hope is that you will see the wholeness that comes from the brokenness and the betrayal of Christ. Thank you for being a part of our service this morning. We invite you to come back. Actually, come back tonight if you want. We'll have a great time if you're not going to the concert with the youth. Next Sunday, we will have all of the children's ministry folks in our service with us. This is Some of you guys are thinking, I don't know if I want to be here, then it's going to be loud. You, You know what? It's a wonderful thing to see children worship. So we're going to invite all of you to come back. It's going to be a great time. They're actually going to lead us in one of our worship songs to help us understand even how they worship. The idea initially is that they will learn from us. This is how you do big church. But the truth is we might learn an awful lot from them. So we invite you to come and join us next Sunday as well. Thank you for being with us and go in peace.